brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This morning, about 400 Americans are leaving the cruise ship Diamond Princess today. They'll be flown from Japan to the U.S. Correspondent Will Ripley in Yokohama says not every American is leaving the ship. Americans who wanted to get off the ship were spending the day packing their belongings. But when those infectious disease doctors knocked on... Only winners listen to KCAA Loma Linda, the trifecta of Southern California radio. Heard on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Brother Mike Calhoun. Bibles and turn with me over to first or rather second Timothy in chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one beginning in verse 15. Let's have a few verses of scripture this morning, 15 through 18. And now it's faced with the challenge of, of setting this scripture aside for a later date or attaching it to something else, but this is really a a critical passage right here, and it's a um, it acts as an interlude between the very first part of, of 1 Timothy and what's going to be said in, uh, in chapter 1 and then 1 Timothy chapter 2. So let's read together. It says in verse 15, You are aware of the fact that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what service he rendered at Ephesus. Father, just once again, we pray for the, the preaching and the teaching of your word this morning. Hide this pastor behind the cross, dear Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And again, all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much. What a great worship service this morning. Amen. I felt like the Lord was in the house and mighty and large and in charge. It was great. And uh, I just loved hearing that song again the second time. I just thought, well, I think we can pull this off. I bet Eric can do it. I appreciate it so much. This text this morning deals with something that really we don't talk enough about. And uh, that's why I went ahead and gave it its own Sunday morning. You know, up until this point right here, you remember that we've been talking about, Paul has been encouraging uh, Timothy in this first part of 2 Timothy about the passion of ministry. It's, it was an invitation, remember, to suffer. It's a lot of shame and a lot of suffering is mentioned in those first few verses. And you remember at the end of our, our last text, 
at the end of that, what we might call that negative aspect of ministry, talking about um, the suffering that goes along with being a Christian, um, he says, come and come join me. He says, basically, come get you some of this right here. And um, what we do, I think, a lot of times as Christians is um, at, without, maybe unwittingly, because we want to be positive. I, I, love, I love a positive attitude. I like it when people are positive. We head in the, the same way. I mean, attitude can do a lot to a Sunday school class, a church, a community, having a positive attitude. But one of the things that we do as a church, I think, a lot of times is we leave out a lot of the negative aspects of what it means to become a Christian. Now, remember, memory. He, he, he capitalized on that word memory. Remember this, remember this, remember this. Talked about his, his family, talking about Timothy's family. And then he said, you're going to suffer, you're going to suffer, you're going to suffer in, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And he says, but come join me in this. And then you have this interlude, what I would call a connection. Because you know what starts in chapter 2, the beginning of verse chapter 2? Well, there's, that's the easy stuff to preach. That's what I wanted to preach this morning. But you really can't begin to talk about being strong in the Lord and about being a great teacher or being a soldier of the Lord or being an athlete or a farmer. And all of those are, are positive aspects. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. The soldier, the athlete, until you address this thing that happened in Paul's life, and actually it happened quite frequently. And Paul just unashamedly throws it out there. You almost think maybe, is it, well, is he complaining? Is he feeling sorry for himself? What's happening here when he says, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia, now he, he uses a phrase, all, and believe it or not, that little phrase right there is studied to death quite a bit because indeed all had not, all had not abandoned him. You are aware of the fact that all who were in Asia turned against, away from me, among whom were Phygelus and Hermogenes. And then just that little short verse right there, he, he begins then to talk about Onesiphorus. Yeah, try to say that three times really, really fast. Well, let's take a look at a couple of different things. First of all, the word that's being used there for fled me or were away from me, deserted me, is a verb that's translated, and it's also used in Titus chapter 1 and verse 14. It, means, it, it generally means somebody who has turned away from the truth, and there's a little bit of a division here, but we're going to grab everything in the definition because it can either mean somebody who turned away because of a theological problem, and meaning that it was heretical because he was establishing the New Testament church and doctrine and theology, but it also could have just meant personal. And you might want to make a little note out there because that means that all of everything that Paul is talking about here to Timothy can apply to me and you. He said, people deserted me, they left me, and the definition of that word can mean and usually does mean in theological context, but it also probably in some vein, some shadow, was talking about just in a personal sense. But lumped together, these two gentlemen who had abandoned Paul, at the very least, were opponents, became opponents of Paul, and they opposed him in two very specific ways. One way was probably in his mission, what he was trying to accomplish to do. That's number one. But secondly, Paul's authority. This is another area which the church really struggles with today, the, just the idea of the concept uh, of authority. I think I, I might have told you that um, uh, it's been about almost 10 years in, ago now, but, Terry, you remember whenever we took that college group to Glorietta, one of the ways they were trying to help us to learn how to disciple uh, younger millennials that were coming on the scene at that time was you couldn't approach them. And I've complained, wept, or whatever, whined about this too much. But let me just tell you, you know, because they think differently. And you, you don't just 
all of a sudden strike up a conversation, strike up a bargain to be discipled, and move from that point. You know, like if you become an apprentice to become a pipe fitter or something, you don't do that anymore, but you shadow pastor that person. You walk alongside them and let them begin to ask questions, and you let kind of a, a relationship develop, and you try to disciple out of that because of the changing attitudes. But, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years ago, that was not so. The apprentice came to the master, talked to the master, struck up a bargain, made it a deal, and he was an apprentice and a journeyman, and he did different things, and he learned how to do a craft. Well, being a Christian was very, very much like that. Well, he, he opposed him. He was an opponent of his in his, number one, mission, but number two, also in his authority. And he uses the phrase, everyone in the province of Asia has turned against me. And he is talking about not everyone literally, but technically the Asiatics is what they're called. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, we see a little vein of this. I'm not going to go over all of them because there's several, but in 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20, Paul said to Timothy, he said, This command I entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that you might fight a good fight, keeping a good conscience, which some have rejected, so there's the rejection, have suffered a shipwreck in regard of their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, wow, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So here is a clear-cut case in the first letter of a doctrinal abandonment. We live in an age of tolerance, don't we? Or what they call tolerance. Tolerate, tolerate, tolerate. Tolerate other thoughts, other ideas, other beliefs. And some of you who know me know, have, have probably never heard a real strong, maybe confrontation, but I promise you it's in there. <laughs> I promise you the confrontation's in there. And there needs to be more of a confrontational attitude in a Christian way, in a, in a parental way, in a loving way, about what is true and what is not true. Listen, if you have got to, as a Christian, uh, learn and grow what it is that you believe, let, allow that to grow in your life, and then defend that position. Because eternity is very often on the line. I promise you, uh, it's so sad to see uh, parents of uh, growing teenagers a lot of times, and different things will come up uh, out, of, out of school. Uh, I can't, sensitivity training that's going on at school, or maybe at a job at a fire department, different things where they're trying to bend the way you think and how you view sin, or how you view even scripture, how you view a, a new worldview, and then to be concerned. Listen, you've got to be concerned. The earlier you are concerned about what it is you believe and growing in that belief, the better you are going to be at defending your position at a later point in time. So here in that verse that we shared was a doctrinal abandonment, and, and it was a great encouragement. He says, because of the prophecies that have been made over you, um, I want you to fight a good fight, which some having rejected. So said all that to say that to this point right here is that I want you to get comfortable with the idea that you may lose some people in your life, friends in your life, because of a doctrinal or theological. That doesn't mean that we go, off, we go out looking for somebody to cut off, uh, actually. But there are, there are clear-cut beliefs that somebody may have, and you may be on the other side of that. And what I always encourage you to do is maintain that relationship as long as you can. Work that relationship as long as you can. But only to the point that you know that that, and that relationship begins to turn on you. Because we are called to be disciples. And to, and to, we are called to be evangelistic. We are called to be open and welcoming. But when you're involved in a relationship and you know that it's damaging, to, you know it's damaging either to you personally or to your family or to one of your children, you need to move. You need to do something. 
You need to have a strategy. And you need to know what it is you believe. Let me give you another example. Here's a second example. This is the second Timothy, uh, chapter 4, verses 6, right here. This is the end of the same letter. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. So this is, I love these verses of scripture that Paul uh, talks about in 1st and 2nd Timothy. Because you can see this man's life is being, he's at the end. He's pouring it all. He's letting it all out there. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. And in the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to who, those who love his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon, he says to Timothy. And then look at verse 10. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. And so see here, look at this verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Verse, uh, farther in verse 11, pick up Mark, bring him with you. For he's useful to me. There's a story in that too. Pick up Mark and bring him with you. For he's useful to me for the service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come bring the cloak which I left at Trous with Carpus. And the books especially the, parchment, the parchments. And then another defection. Alexander the coppersmith did much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself. For he vigorously opposed our teaching. Everybody say our teaching. Our teaching. One more time. Our teaching. Our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. You know, I don't know where Chris got that picture on the bulletin today, but it was a really good picture of that guy sitting there, that just jet, the fellow in the, the bulletin, very dejected. And you can just, it just helped me with my sermon this morning. It paints a picture of a person when they feel like they have been abandoned, which is more or less the theme. We, we've got another half. There's just two parts of this message. The first half, it deals with abandonment, but there's a second part that's going to be here in just a moment. You know, uh, one of my favorite topical messages on faith talks about how to continue to follow the Lord when it seems like everybody and everything, and even God himself, is not supporting you anymore. And how to have faith that even that pushes through that. Because that's not true. Oftentimes I find that really when people, I'm visiting with someone or counseling someone and they feel like everybody has left me. Have you ever felt like that? Everybody has left me. Or you're working on a project. Everybody, where did everybody go? Nobody is helping me with this. All of us are going to experience things like that in our Christian life. As a parent, when you're trying to raise children and you, want, you have a desire. I talk to these people all the time. They want to have relationships with other Christian parents so they can talk about and, and strategize because if, you're not, if you don't, they'll overtake you. The kids, will they'll win, amen? That's a joke, okay? But, you know, it helps to sit down and have a cup of coffee with a friend and just say, I'm, this kid is driving me crazy. And just pour your heart out to him and let him pray for you. Or you, pray, you know, just pray together. It helps whenever uh, a young housewife is able to sit with another housewife and not have husband for dinner, but just talk about that it's a struggle being married and there's so many questions you have, you know, and you can feel alone. And my experience, growing experience in the church is this, is that I'll say 90% of the people in churches today feel very, very alone. Somebody say amen. You know it's true. 
And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about Green Acres Baptist Church, where they have three or 4,000 walk through the door, or however, 10, 12, 15, whatever, I don't know. Those people feel alone. Or it doesn't matter if it's Pruitt Baptist Church or First Baptist. There's people who feel alone in the church. And a, a, a step above that is there are times where we feel like everyone has departed me. Paul did have some evidence. Gone were Demas, Crescent, Titus had, had been sent to Tychicus in this particular passage we've read. He was at war with Alexander the coppersmith. And he had sent others to do the Lord's work. And, and, and so we see this theme in Paul's life. And he had it. We read about it in the book of Acts. We read about it in his letters. This feeling of being abandoned. I want to tell you right now that there's a long history, a biblical history of people who did everything right. You see, because we think that's our shield. If I'll do everything right, if I'm nice enough, if I'm good enough, I try hard enough, well, then I'll never be alone. No, no, no. In fact, if you try to do everything right and, you try, and you're following the Lord for all your worth, the chances are you are going to be alone in many stages in your Christian life. Amen, Amy? Isn't that right? There's a long history of people who were doing right, who had the best intentions, whose hearts were portrayed, who were abandoned, even killed, whose lives were traded for power, position, or out of fear or for their own purposes. Maybe for shame or fear of suffering. We're misaligned. Remember last week's sermon? When you align with Christ, everything else comes out of alignment, right? You instantly become misaligned. I think I shared this case study with you before, but I had some very, very good youth worker friends, Terry and Clifford Rhodes, and when I had moved, actually told me the story about a young high school girl, freshman high school girl who had gotten saved. I mean, she got all the way saved and was on fire for the Lord. And was going to her high school. She became concerned about her teachers and administrators and about the other children. And they began to ostracize her, disdain her. Depression settled in, in, down into her life. And eventually had, the young girl had a nervous breakdown over what the world dumped on her because she loved Jesus. I never got to meet her, never got to talk to her, but I thought she was in good company. Moses wasn't away from the mountain for just a few hours, and Aaron was building a golden calf. Joshua had told everyone, don't bring any idols home and put them in your tent. But Achan did that and cost the lives of thousands of people. And whether we're talking about Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of the other prophets, people suffered because of their relationship with God. King David, by his own son Absalom, raised up an army and pursued David. And, you know, we scrutinize Judas. We really do. We scrutinize Judas. He's... Well, I'm not as bad as Jews, but let me tell you something. They all fled. When the Roman soldiers came and they all said that we'll die with you, every single one of them fled. And I think it's good for us to realize that we all have fled Christ at different times. We've all been embarrassed. We've all fled from a, 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 a conversation, maybe from a, a call or a commitment. I guarantee there have been people, since I've been pastor here at Pruitt Baptist Church, there have been people who have been called into the church or called into service who are already members of the church, and you fled that because... You just didn't want to do it. Are you afraid you might fail at it? Or, or you fill in the blank, but we, flat, we all flee at times the presence of Christ. Betrayal happens. People leaving us in the front line, the hottest part of the battle, in life, in ministry. And I wanted to use this first point to tell you that you will survive. You will survive it. And the challenge sometimes is to recognize that we have to move through it. How many times, I tell you, I've not been in a church yet where I, wasn't, I didn't have to deal with a church member who somebody did something 
Back in 1942, and maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I mean years ago, somewhere, somehow they got hurt. And, and, I, and my job a lot of times, I think, as a pastor is just to try to pray and help and encourage them. But tell them to move through it. Get, get over that. Somebody please say amen. Because this is truth. This is true. And if you love God and you stay in church long enough, you're going to have people fail you. You're going to get hurt. Sometimes it's going to be your fault. It's going to be your fault. I have testimony about that. We're, I'm the one. I, I, had, I have failed relationships with, with friends or family or with, with best friends even that I wasn't able to restore later. And, and part of that was my fault. But, you know, he says a very important thing in 2 Timothy 4 and 17. And this is what you got to remember. Even when it doesn't feel like it, look at verse 17. And everybody say it with me. But the Lord stood with me. Let's say it together again. But the Lord stood with me. One more time. But the Lord stood with me. So that when you have that, that girlfriend of yours and you're meeting for coffee to talk about your marriage or one of your children, and then for whatever reason she gets caught up maybe with another friend, and she just, she really, you're just getting to be too spiritual, and you're out of your mind, you're crazy, and so they just, they cut you off. You have to remember, but the Lord stood with me. When you have that good friend in high school or in college, and you're pretty close, and, and for, you start having dinner with one, one another, and then you invite them to your home, and your family fixes a meal for them. And then you know what? They find out, whoa, you, these are a bunch of conservative fanatics. They love God and pray. They're praying at the table and everything. You never see them again. But the Lord stood with me. When you have, and I've seen this, when you have a mate, and you got married under this one set of kind of agreement, nobody was too religious, but somewhere along the way, you have an awakening or you get saved and you get reconnected to your faith in a powerful and real way and your relationship with your mate changes. And they, you're still in the same house, but in a sense they've abandoned you. You have to say, but the Lord stood with you. Abandonment happens, but you, when it does happen, you have to be prepared for it. Abandonment happens, and here's the answer to why it happens, because we're all humans, we're fallen, we're frail, we're weak, and people make mistakes, they mess up. And you, you can spend, I've seen people, I have friends in this town who are still going over the minutiae, the details of some fight they had 30 years ago. I'm, I'm serious. Brothers, sisters who were friends. I mean, who, surely you're friends with your sister, but don't talk anymore because of some deal that happened. Listen, we're human. We make mistakes. And we're called to forgive one another when these mistakes happen. This happened to Paul. And you know what? I, I, you, can, you can study this. I've heard people say this. But you know, Paul. this happened with Paul and John Mark. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 13, there's an incident that happens. Mark, John Mark gets discouraged or something. We don't know what happens to him. But in the Acts, he gets discouraged. And somewhere along this missionary journey, they, he leaves. He says, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I'm going home. I'm paraphrasing here. This is a Calhoun paraphrase. That's not in the scripture. But it says that John Mark left. He went back home. Well, a little bit later, um, a little bit later in chapter 15 of Acts, verses 36 through 40, uh, John Mark decides that he wants, to, he wants to come along. And Paul says, no, he deserted us. Now, I've heard a lot of really neat sermons, but they really don't know because there's no more in the Scripture to let you know who's right or who's wrong. Some people say, well, Paul must have been wrong because later in Timothy, he tells Timothy says, bring John Mark with you along because I have use for him. 
Well, it tells me things worked out, but it didn't tell me who's wrong. Because those two men, because Barnabas and Paul had a fight over John Mark. And Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul took Silas. And I've even heard preachers say, well, then there were two great missionary ventures. Well, listen, that's not how we're supposed to have two great missionary ventures is over a fight. It's just like when a church splits. If a church happens to split, well, now there's two big missions. Well, that may, and they may do great things for the Lord. People may get saved. They both may grow. But that doesn't make what initially happened right. And you don't know what happened in, in that, that argument with John Mark. What I do know, what that lesson does teach me, is that things do happen that will cause you to want to quit. <laughs> and I, won't, I can't confess too much here this morning, but I'll tell you what. I've, I've got to be honest with you. you know, there have been things in my life and things that have happened, hurts have happened, and it made me want to quit. It made me want to quit. I mean, forever. And just say, you know what, God? I don't know, what, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why things are going this way. I'm just going to leave this to you, and then when I get to heaven, you can tell me what I did wrong because I'm not getting anything right now. And what you've got to do is you've got to move through that moment. Let God minister to your heart. Get you to a place where you see that you might not ever in this life find out the answer to that question. But he's still king, he's still on the throne, and he has always been with you. Amen? I see a lot of tears this morning in the congregation. Might as well say amen instead of oh me, amen? Because they're weak and they're flawed. Look for the best in people, hope for the best, anticipate the best, but be prepared when people fail you. However, not all had abandoned him. Look back at this text now, again with you again. Uh, in verse 16. But the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. And the Lord grant him to him and find mercy from the Lord on that day. He's talking about the great judgment day. And you know very well what, the serv what service he had rendered to me. They had not all abandoned him. Onephesus' name, who I can barely say this morning, uh, means profitable one. He was somebody who brought profit. He was a positive asset to the apostles' life. He was, a he was a fellow worker. He was a faithful worker. And he was in a long line of workers that Paul had. See... <clears throat> I don't discount what Paul says, but I, I know how to put contextualize what Paul says when he says, all left me, because they hadn't left him. In 419, he's, he greets the house of Priscilla and Aquila. Greet that house. In chapter 1 and verse 5, he, he reminded Timothy, I remember Lois and Eunice and whenever you, and during your conversion. And you can go through the end, the end of the epistles and see different places where Paul said, this house greets you, and tell, tell so-and-so I said... Um, that we said hi, in, in fact, in chapter 4 of this, of this letter right here, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of an Ephesus. Erastus remained at Corinth. Uh, Trophus I left sick in Miletus. Make every effort to come to floor me. Eubulus greets you. Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with you in spirit. Does it sound like he's alone? No. Those were all positive affirmations of people who were in ministry with him. But sometimes it feels like you're alone. Amen. And so when I read where Paul says that he was alone and it felt like everybody had met him, they hadn't. God still had people in his life that were ministering to him and loving him and looking after him. I want to break down, I want to break down this man's ministry and then I'll be done. He says, number one, that this person refreshed him for he often refreshed me. 
Secondly, he says that he supported me. And he also attaches that he was not ashamed of my chains. Remember, he had already gotten on to Timothy because Timothy had been afraid of his chains. He was bold. He was fearless. When he came to Rome, instead of, instead of running from being connected to the outlaw, the apostle Paul, he searched for him. And, it, and historians tell us it would have been very difficult to find just some Roman prisoner. He searched for me until he found me. The very, the very act of he refreshed me is a very unique word. It means to bring a cooling, reviving, fresh air. To bring much needed relief. Causing someone to recover from a state of cheer or encouragement after a time of anxiety or trouble. Do you have people like that in your life? But an even more important question, are you one of those kinds of people? Are you a person whenever you're like a battery drain? When somebody says, you just drain them. Are you the kind of individual when you see that person, you get in the same, they get in the same room with you, you're like the battery charger and you can revive that person, encourage that person. That's what we're called to be, guys. Somebody say amen. He supported me in my ministry. He was bold in the way he supported me. He searched for me when I was lost, which reminds me of Jesus searching for that lost lamb in Luke 15. Amen. Are you the kind of individual that will search for somebody? And one of, the, one of the shames of the Baptist church today is nobody searches for anybody anymore. That's the preacher's job. We pray him to search. Guys, listen, I can't do your searching for you. There's some people that are missing, and you know about it, and I won't know about it until six months later when their letter comes through, and they've moved to another church looking for somebody who will... Who'll. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to encourage people to have hurt feelings. What I am encouraging all of us in the room to do is to care about one another Enough to miss someone when they're gone. Paul said, Paul said, Onephrosus, search for me when he came to Rome. Is anybody searching for you? We all need somebody like that in our life. One of my favorite illustrations of a young woman who had left home in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I'm gonna, I just love this illustration. I'm going to use it this morning, but you know, she wanted to see the bright lights of the city and left the city. And she went... She went, to the, she went to Buenos Aires and got involved in who knows what kind of lifestyle. And three or four months later, she comes down off of a second floor slum. Uh, her eyes just barely slit, tired, underfed, undernourished, underloved. And she got to the bottom of the stairs in this old apartment complex in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And her picture was on the wall. And she took the picture off the wall and she turned it over. And it was from her mother. And she said, Whatever you've done, whatever it has happened, it's okay. Please come home. And she went home because somebody was looking for her. We all need someone like that mother who's willing to look. Discouragement is going to happen. Discouragement is going to happen, but remember, the Lord has not abandoned your side. And this world needs a refreshing wind. They need a Christian who is a refreshing and recharging it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. 
Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wind to them whenever they see you coming down the hallway. And that can be you. All of us can do what I, it is I'm describing right, right now. You've got to be able to predict that it's a certainty. People are going to fail us. Let us down. You've got to remember it's part of the human condition. They're, we're sinners. We're all sinners. But you also got to remember that when people cut you off and they cut you out of their lives, it's part of the affirmation that you are truly a believer in Christ. If you're not having any trials at all or any trouble, I, I, I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, hold on because they're coming. And I would also tell you to check your faith because the Bible tells us we are going to have trouble in this world. Be a refreshing soul. Be unashamed. Be willing to search because there's a reward for it in the end. And don't ever, ever forget as we close this morning that Jesus searched for you. I don't understand all the cosmic aspects of it. I don't understand all the theological aspects. I don't pretend to. I just know that I was lost and he came and found me. He searched for me until he found me. The pastor that led me to the Lord, I sent away the first time. I said, well, let me think about it. I wasn't angry or mean. I just said, well, let me please think about it. And he came back, thank God, he came back two days later and witnessed to me in my home and I was saved. Because the Lord and because he was searching for me. Who are you searching for this morning? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the service, Lord. We pray that you'll be in the, the invitation time now. And Lord, I just think we've touched on a lot of different things, dear God, this morning that speak to our hearts about what it means to be a follower of yours, dear Lord. But most, most importantly, I've been convicted this morning, dear Lord, of being a better searcher, being a better comforter, being a refreshing wind, dear Lord, to those around me, dear God. Oh, Lord, I can't do it like you did it. I can't do it for everybody. I can't be everything, dear Lord, but I can, I can be something you Lord so help me and help my brothers and sisters in this church to be that for you dear Lord to be your hands and your feet and your love here on earth until you come to get us for it's in Jesus name we pray and all of God's people said you're listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van Texas with brother Mike Calhoun open your Bibles to Amos chapter 3 I want you to think for a minute of some of the times and, and tonight's group you'll be able to relate to this and I think this is difficult for our younger Christians and chronologically younger I think it's hard for younger people but so when God spoke to you a time when God spoke to you in our relationship with the Lord we try to develop that discipline of listening to the Lord listening to his voice or how do you hear God's word now I'm going to make this very personal for each of us as we go through the devotion but look what it says as Amos says in chapter 3 verse 1 he says hear the word which the Lord has spoken you sons of Israel against the entire family which is brought up from the land of Egypt you only have I chosen among all the families of the earth therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? Does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Does a young lion growl in its den unless it has captured something? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when there is no bait in it? 
Does a trap spring from the earth when it captures nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Surely the Lord does nothing. That's a very tricky verse, and we're going to talk about that. Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. So one, there were several possible illustrations to open tonight's devotion up with about like if we had, if I had a phone, you know, that we were talking straight to God, and I did that over to Juana's, and I got them all scared. They were absolutely saying, what if I had a phone, and the next person's voice was God? And, you know, they were just like this, and I said, well, guess what? You have that phone right here. When you pick up God's word, you study God's word. That's the voice of the Lord in his written scripture. Well, one of the ways that Israel had failed was they had not heard God's voice. He had spoken to them, but they had not responded. So there were some results from that. Number one, is look at verse one, it says, against. Hear this word, the Lord has spoken against you sons of Israel. Against the entire family which he brought up from the land of Egypt. If there's a New Testament parallel here in these first few verses, it's Romans chapter 3. Uh, uh, yes, Romans chapter 3, because Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 are condemnations of the Gentiles, which the Jews loved. Oh boy, whenever Paul's letter in Romans chapter 1, yeah, the pagans, those guys don't know who God is. They're not covenant people. You would have loved to have heard that first. But, but chapter 2 was about the Jews. And chapter 3 is a further confirmation that there's judgment on everybody. Everybody. This is my opening line in trying to lead somebody to the Lord. And whenever I have somebody and their heart's kind of tender and I can tell, you know, you know what I'm talking about, Ron. You think the Lord's working there. I go straight to chapter 3, Romans, because I say, well, listen, remember, Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned. Everybody, we're all in. And that kind of gives them a little bit of relief. Well, whatever this guy's talking about, it must be okay because we're all under the same, you know, you get, to, you get to the good part, but you have to understand what do you have to do in that? What do you have to do with somebody who's addicted to drugs or alcohol? You have to admit you have a problem. What do you, what do you have to do with a person to get them saved? You've got to get them lost. Something has to happen in their heart. We don't do that. We can't beat or coerce somebody into being saved. It has to be the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit in a person's heart. I can't convict somebody. I cannot convict somebody. I can persuade, and I believe the New Testament scriptures, talks, Paul talks about this all the time. He uses the word apologia, and he uses another Greek word I can't think of right now, but they both have to do with persuasion. But conviction of the heart comes by the light of the Holy Spirit. And when you don't hear that, he says, the Lord has spoken against you, you sons of Israel, against the entire family. Remember, he was from, he was from Judah, but he's coming to Israel to speak. He comes to Israel to speak. So this is like the southerner going up to tell the Yankees about what your problems are, okay? There was that kind of division at that particular time. And so the first couple of chapters, uh, there would have been all these condemnations that we've been preaching through against these other cities, these other nations. But here in chapter 3, he begins to, to en encompass the whole bunch He's of, of Israel and Judah. All of you, the family of God, the entire family. And then he uses this, which he brought up from the land of Egypt. And this is closely tied to verse 2. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. The voice that is speaking to them is talking about, number one, responsibility. 
Number two, it's a word against them. It's a judgment against them. And uh, one commentator talked about how that, um, that I was researching, talked about how that God's judgment against a particular person, thing, or nation, we may not always see that. But we liken it to when Israel was wanting a king. Y'all remember what happened in Samuel, whenever he was wanting a king? 1 Samuel chapter 16. Give us a king so that we might be like other nations. We want to be like everybody else. So give us a king. And see, God was their king. The Lord was their king. If God's your king, you can't do better than that king. If God's your leader, you can't do better than that leader. He's the king of kings. But he says, okay, I'll give you one. And remember, they got... uh, Saul, I forgot his name. Thank you so much. They got Saul, and he was he was he was a terrible. He had he took their men for the service, their daughters for perfumers, and um, uh, and he you know he was it was it was a disaster. Uh, it was a it was a disaster. I have this against you, and so that's the judgment. But God's judgments are always sure. They're always they're, it's a just judgment. But when God judges something, it's good judgment. It's an evil judgment. And um, this is the part of, we're going to talk about repentance in a moment, but this is where our society is struggling. Don't judge me. I don't care. Yeah, I can talk to you about religion, man, but don't judge me. Okay. Well, that's what they feel like. None of us wants to be judged. That's not a pleasant thing. But part of our relationship and how we met the Lord deals with judgment. And when, I, when God took me away and backed me up through the scriptures and through the witness of a faithful pastor, and he backed me up and he showed me my life, my life needed to be judged. Now, in my instance, in my case, well, yeah, Calhoun, you're, you were easily judged. You're, you're bad. I, now, I wasn't that bad. And guess what? You were too. You were too. If you've never, never done anything wrong, you think you've never done anything wrong, we have all sinned. Remember Romans three twenty three. Romans three three twenty three. And the Christian Church has struggled with this. You know, um, you want a testimony where you were saved at a young life and you served. And that's the testimony. That's the testimony. The testimony about I came into the church and I was smoldering and they had to put me out. That's not the good testimony. It lends itself to God's grace, but it's we're all under the same judgment. So this voice it talks about responsibility. And it's about God's judgment. It's against you. We need to remember that it's accurate and that it's important. He says, and why have they done this? Latter part of verse 2, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, when he talks about their iniquities, the word that you want to remember there is it's likened to crookedness. The, word, the Hebrew word that's being used here is likened to, to crookedness. And so there, it's this idea of a straight way, a narrow way, but you have, you have perverted it. You've made it crooked. You made it crooked. And so why am I judging you, O Israel and Judah? Well, it's because of your iniquities. It's because of the crookedness of your life. And remember, some of the, what were some of the injustices we had? They sold people, a person could be bought and sold for a pair of sandals. There was, a terrible, there was terrible slavery. There was usury going on. You remember the one, the one that broke my heart was that there were people that were coming laying down on garments that were pledged by other people. Remember, somebody would owe somebody else a debt. And so you would take a person's last robe they had to cover. They only had one garment. And then come lay down by the altar of God and say you were worshiping God. That hurt. That hurt me to think that happened. It was, there was widespread. But do we not do the same thing? Do we have things against people? And we take away, what do we take away from them? What do we rob them of in their humanity or their dignity or in forgiveness? That's one of the things that we hold back from people, isn't it? Forgiveness. 
And then we come to worship and act like everything's all right. What did Jesus say about that? That's a false worship. If you, you come to the, if you come to church and you find that you have something ought against you and your brother, leave your offering there at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. Make right. Be as right as you know how to be. None of us are ever going to be perfect, but be as right as you know how to be that you might worship. So the voice is talking about responsibility. Number one, that he's against you. Number two, it's judgment. It's always accurate. Number three, it's in, in, in the entirety of Israel and Judah. And fourth, it's for the iniquity or crookedness of these people. So what is needed here? One of the things that is needed here is, uh, one of the things that's needed here is repentance. They need to repent. Thank goodness for repentance. Thank goodness for repentance. What is repentance? Well, it just means being, you know, it means being sorry you got caught. I've done a lot of days where I, somehow or another I tricked my mom or dad or friends or teachers and I got away with it. Whew, I'm glad I didn't get caught. That's not repentance. That's you getting away with something. That's a false kind of repentance. Repentance is when you change your way of thinking. It means that you're walking one way and you stop and you turn around. You start walking the other way. But it's, it's a matter of the mind and the heart first. I want to share just a couple of scriptures. Don't lose your place there in uh, Amos. Um, one famous passage is out of Luke chapter 13, and this is one of my favorites. Luke, Luke 13 said on the same occasion there were those who were present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that those Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 uh, on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And one of the things that we need to remember about Jesus was that in the Gospel of Mark, it says Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom and repentance for people to turn. And we as, I don't know if it's we as a denomination, Southern Baptist, but we as a society and we in the process of our discipleship have got to train people and we have to allow ourselves to be trained that uh, and, and retrained in this is that your repentance your personal repentance is the most primary concern to God a lot of people do quarterback Sunday morning quarterback in regards to their and their faith because you come and you said washer I wish my sister was here she needs to hear this message well that message is not for your sister you're here this morning it's for it's for you one of the pieces of advice I give or encouragements I give to young men who are in ministry is make sure that message has gone through you. As you've studied for that message, make sure God's dealt with you because you'll have these moments during the process of preaching where you don't want to be hit there, but you can be. You don't want to be hit there. You want to get right with God before you get to that pulpit and, and begin to preach a particular thing. Let the sermon go through you. Let God deal with you about what it is you're going to tell other, other people about. Well, there's that passage there. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, And the Lord is not slow about his... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Promise 
as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God desires for us all to have repentant hearts. He's, he desires as a, as, a, as a matter of lifestyle that we would allow the Lord to break our hearts about certain things. Let's look at Matthew 3 and verse 1. Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one that's preferred, referred to by Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So Paul, Peter, uh, Luke's gospel talks about Jesus preaching on the subject of repentance. is critically important uh, uh, principle for us as Christians. The problem we have with this doctrine, or as, we, as I said earlier, as we separate ourselves from it, is for somebody else. It's our, we don't allow, allow it to have its full... You know, we have a... Y'all have seen that Captain America, probably commercial, where he's got that shield and he guards him against everything? Well, we're like that a lot in our hearts. We, I think that we, in our hearts, when the Holy Spirit is trying to reach out there, and, and it's coming into our mind and our thoughts, and, and he's, he's, he's convicting us. We try, to, we try to shield us against that. Instead of embracing that and saying, I mean, and I'm just going to encourage you to talk out loud whenever the Lord begins to talk to you about something and say, yes, Lord. Just answer him. Just go ahead and answer him. Say, yes, Lord. Just tell him, yes, I hear, I hear you. Has that ever happened to you? God brings something to mind where you'd hurt somebody's feelings or you'd said something you shouldn't have said or you, you were caught in something and, and you, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about that. You know, but, and it's funny, when we are like that with the Lord, he won't talk to us about anything else but that thing that we need to deal with. I had a friend, and they were involved in a particular sin. It was over a many-year period of time, but do you understand the kind of hardness of heart that you have to do, have in your heart to be able to do that? For, be involved in a sin over a prolonged period of time and not repent of that? That's how Israel, that's how all the children of Israel, the children of Judah, got caught in their in their, in their situation. And so there's going to be a result of that. Look what it says in verse 3. Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? This is talking about, this verse right here is talking about how that God wanted to be in harmony with them. I wanted to walk with you and us be in harmony about this. But we didn't. Because of the sins and the iniquity of the people, uh, we were separated in fellowship. This is the good part. It's very difficult in chapter 3 to find some, the positive parts to be able to share. And I actually have to take something they weren't doing and flip it so that I can make it a positive here because I want there to be some positive aspects to this particular chapter. But God's heart is, just like he, he doesn't desire that any should perish, but all should, but all should come to be repentance. You can liken that to verse 3. Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? Unless they're in agreement? Unless they're in fellowship? And so he's talking about the fellowship that he desires that they would enjoy. All through the history of Israel, he desired fellowship with them. He desired a relationship. He wanted to be their God. He wanted to be their king. And they fought him, fought him, fought him, fought him. Boy, I'm glad we don't do that. Oh, yes, we do. We, even with Jesus in our heart as Christians, born-again Christians with the Spirit of God, we fight him, don't we? Do two men make an appointment and walk together? Well, here's the result of that, not listening to the voice of the Lord. These are kind of scary. Verse 4 says, does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Most Bible commentators agree that yes, he does. And this was a well-known fact. 
Have you ever heard, I've told this here at, at Pruitt, have you ever heard a lion roar? Like when he was mad, a roar, a roar? Whoa, I remember as a small child, it scarred me. I mean, it might be as why I'm as goofy as I am, Chris. But I remember leaning up against at a zoo, a fence. It was a double fence, there was, so there was a fence, a barrier, another fence, and there was a male and a female lion in there. And we were going, rawr, rawr, rawr. And we were trying to make that lion roar. We're here. Finally, that, that male lion, he kind of turned his back to us. We had our hands. I still remember. And he turned around and jumped up on his feet. And, and it froze us in fear. Both of us. It paralyzed us. I'm, I'm not kidding. We both screamed. And everybody in the zoo could hear it. We made that. Somebody was picking on that animal, tormenting that animal. And zookeepers came running. Here come my parents. They thought that the thing was out. Well, I felt like it was out. I don't know. My memory is a little foggy here, but I think I had dry clothes on. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I have never, I can remember that. We were little bitty trying to make those lions roar. And God's saying this, does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Listen, Israel, I'm coming for you. I'm coming. Can we not take that and apply it to America? Listen, America, I'm coming for you. You think you're mighty. You think you're great. You have provided all this wealth. You think it's your leaders who've done this? Oh, does a lion roar when it has no prey? Look at the letter part. Does a young lion growl from its den unless it's captured something? Commentators agree. Yes. Whenever he Don't come near the cave because I've got my prey in here. What a hor horrific thought. God is telling Israel, his own people, I'm going to be like a lion who's dragged its prey up into, you think that's scary. Look at this next part right here. That's God's uh, condemnation and the certainty of his judgment. Verse 5 talks about the certainty of the trap. Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when there is no bait in it? Does a trap spring from the earth when it captures nothing at all? The principle here is that if you stay away from the trap, you're going to get caught. But the trap is designed so that you have to put something in it and it snaps. And it's saying... I've told you what to do and what not to do. I've, I've beckoned you. I've tried to call you, O Israel, back to righteousness. And the trap is set, and you put your finger on the trigger. And it's snapped. It's got you. It has you. Oh, I hope, I hope it is not too late. I love our country. I hope it's not too late that the trap is set, and it's going to spring. Verse uh, 6, if a trumpet is blown in the city, will not the people tremble if, a, if calamity occurs in the city has not the Lord done it and so I have to address part of my theology here that sometimes may seem conflicted or, or ambiguous because I make the statement God does not do evil and he says that he is not the author of evil but wh whose evil are you talking about or what situation are you talking about what might look like evil to one person is actually God's justice to God. Is that possible? If the trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? You know, there are some judgments that come. Now, some of us from, and I, this is my fallout for this. I, I love my God. I'm concerned about his goodness. I'm concerned about his glory and how people per perceive his glory. But I'm also concerned about his goodness. But is he a good God? Yes, and he doesn't cause evil. But listen... Sometimes our sin brings evil on. And sometimes the sin of a nation brings evil upon itself. And so it's not God who's caused the evil. The people have caused the evil. Because they have 
Well, just the sacrifice of the children, uh, their children to Molech. That's one of the most horrific things. I can't believe parents did that. But how, how can I throw stones in them? And this very thing is happening in our nation today. Are we not being set up for judgment ourselves? If calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Now, I, want just, I want to be careful here, but I want to play with your imagination just a little bit. Think about some of the things that have happened the last few years, the last several years. Could it not have been our sin as a nation that has brought some of these things to pass? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's why repentance is so important. I, I don't want to have to see us in a, in a, I didn't see the first one, but I don't want to see America in a dust bowl. But it could happen. I guarantee it. I can see Dan Rather on the news, uh, whoever on the news telling me, says, you know, something's happened with weather, and they're projecting the next seven years, you know, uh, half the rain that we normally, it happened like that. Or war or pestilence, and we know that we have people around the nation, around the country, the world, that want to hurt us, could bring disease here. Uh, just because of some laws not be taken care of, I know that there are now outbreaks of measles. They're about to have one of the highest outbreaks of measles that the country's had like in 20 or 30 years. It can happen. It can happen. Verse 7 says, Surely, this all leads back to the Lord is speaking. Look at verse 7. Surely the Lord does nothing, and you have to catch the next phrase, unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants and the prophets. This is a direct call to Israel and Judah that God has spoken and he's spoken through his prophets. And if you study the Old Testament enough, you know that they weren't always received. They weren't always received well. And they put them in wells. They killed some of them. You know, Jesus said that. They killed the prophets. God kept sending them prophets, 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 so that they could tell the people how, how, what they needed to do and they would print, uh, repent. Now, in, in this new economy, in this new covenant we have with Jesus Christ, you're a priest and you're prophets and you get to speak, you get to speak to the Lord directly. And I want, Lord, please don't let me sin here, but I want to tell y'all that um, from the time I was called to ministry, I've also felt there is a, but there is a special gift that is given to men to preach to congregations, to preach to nations. Because, yes, we, God speaks to all of us individually in our personal relationship, but God speaks through his prophets. He speaks through his pastors and his preachers, men who've been called of God, ordained to ministry, the man of God was supposed to be a particular thing in a community, and he's not that anymore. And, and what used to be the top, at the top of the list, respected in this nation with firemen and uh, uh, policemen and lawyers and pastors is now is down at the bottom of the heap. And so our nation is not listening to, is not listening to the men of God who are preaching the word of God. And um, you, when, when, pro, when preachers preach, it can't be that your goal is to grow a big church. That is not your goal. Your goal as a pastor is to feed the people of God the word of God that they might know how to live so that they don't die spiritually. And my brothers, my brothers, oh my, they have, they have left that. I shouldn't tell you this story, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you anyway. I sat at South, Southwestern Theological Seminary and heard three or four young men, preacher boys, talking about where they were going to go. We said, well, I, I applied for the 
northwest. I said, I'd take a church up there if somebody called me. Another guy said, well, you know, I said I wasn't going to pastor one for less than this. It was $700,000. Heard that kind of story. And Preston, I looked over at him, and I said, hey, guys, come on. I said, hey, guys. I said, what? I said, I said, you ought to be thanking God that you're even here at all. We, we have got to pray for the pastors, the missionaries, the prophets of God, because just as Amos is describing here for us, we're in a situation right here. We need a faithful word from God about God and what God desires. And we need for people to listen to that word. Um, and you know, and you may, this is hard to say, but you know, you may not, you may not particularly like the man of God. Now, what, what do you mean not like? Well, I mean, you know, people don't like the pastor for a lot of different reasons. He doesn't comb his hair right, or he wears white shirts instead of a suit on Sunday night. I mean, it could be anything. People for a myriad of different reasons. But listen, if it's your, if it's your pastor, and, and Christian, don't you ever forget this. As you go through life, and whoever the man of God is in front of you, that's your pastor. And, and no matter what the shell looks like, because he's just a man too, but it's what he's preaching is what will make a difference in your life. Hearing the voice of God. We hear it through God's word. We hear it through our, in our prayer time through the Holy Spirit. And we hear it from the preaching of the man of God as he instructs his sheep and he gives them the word of life and they know how to live. Amen? Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. Thinking about buying a home or maybe just refinancing? Let the mortgage voice Jeff Barton guide you. And I think if people get the expectation going into the process, there's less likely to be freaking out at the end about what's happening. The Mortgage Voice, Saturday at 3 p.m. and Sundays at noon here on KCAA 1050 AM and 106.5 FM. You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>